everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. As always, I am your host, Usumimi, and for your listening enjoyment, this is another short review episode. If you're just tuning in for the first time and have never heard one of my review episodes, that's just my ultra-fancy name for a podcast episode where I revisit an older anime title that I haven't seen in a long time, jot down some notes on what I might remember about it, and then rewatch it to see if I still feel the same way about it as I did the last time I saw it. Not too complicated, right? And no worries, if this kind of episode isn't your thing, I'll be returning with a longer episode next time with a guest with a more fleshed out topic and longer runtime for all of you to listen to. Recently, after a bit of a delay, Discotech finally released the original Magic Knight Ray Earth TV series on Blu-ray, which I know many fans were really looking forward to, myself included. And seeing everyone's excited tweets and posts about finally being able to get it and watch it again reminded me of something that's kind of fallen into a bit of obscurity, with it being out of print for so long and it never really being insanely popular to begin with. And that is the Ray Earth OAV from 1997. The Ray Earth OAV, OAV short for Original Animated Video, was not a sequel to the Magic Knight Rear TV series. It's not even a prequel or a spin-off. It's basically all of the same characters from the TV series, but in an alternative universe where things are similar, but very different. Where in the original series, the three main characters, Hikaru, Umi, and Fu, were strangers that happened to meet on a class trip and ended up being transported to a fantasy world, in the Ray Earth OAV, all three girls go to the same school together, and they already know each other as a really great group of friends. They don't get transported into a magical world. In this incarnation, the residents of the fantasy world Safrio actually come to them. I was intrigued when this OAV came out, being a huge Clamp fan back in the day. I really enjoyed Magic Knight Ray Earth, but I had especially enjoyed their earlier works, such as Tokyo Babylon and X, aka X 1999. And when Japanese magazines started printing the new art and character designs for this Ray Earth reboot, I noticed right away that the art style was much closer to the original manga style than the original TV series was. It also used a much less brighter color palette than the original series, which instantly made me think of X. I was excited to see what this new version of the series was, simply titled Ray Earth, and I recall not being too far off with that X comparison. The first episode surprised me quite a bit when I first saw it. While Magic Knight Ray Earth was definitely a series intended to also try to sell little girls all sorts of toys and merchandise, the Ray Earth OAV took a very different turn and was obviously not marketed towards that same younger crowd the original was courting. I remember a lot more fighting, a lot more depictions of blood, and a much denser, complex plot that I can barely remember because it was not as straightforward as the original one in the TV series, to say the least. 
which is saying something considering the Magic Knight Rare TV series was much longer than this three-episode OAV. Because I was such a die-hard Clamp fan at the time, I'm not sure if I genuinely loved this OAV because it was actually good, or if I just automatically liked it because it was yet another Clamp thing to watch and talk about. So, that's where this podcast comes in. Is the Ray Earth OAV worth returning to? Or is it somewhat forgotten for good reason? Let's find out in this episode's rewatch. While many newer or younger Clamp fans are probably very familiar with Clamp's series Subasa Reservoir Chronicle, it was definitely not the first time Clamp decided to play around with their characters in alternative universes. Several of their older manga titles were connected by characters, such as Tokyo Babylon and X sharing a universe, or characters from Clamp School Detectives popping up in multiple other works. In 1994, they even released a music video called Clamp in Wonderland, which showed all of their characters up until that point in an Alice in Wonderland-style short where their timelines and worlds were connected temporarily. Nowadays, AUs and shared universes are very common in their works, and they're even used as a selling point for some of them, a la Holic and Tsubasa. At first, I found it pretty cool whenever they would sneak in an easter egg into one of their stories that would reveal to fans a connection between one of their previous works. I felt like it was something special that only their longtime fans would recognize. But as time went on, this became less and less special, and they seemed to cram it into pretty much everything they'd make after a certain point. And of course, then came Subasa, which was basically Clamp's version of Kingdom Hearts, and almost the entire story circled around this premise of using all of their previous characters in one giant, ongoing AU story. This was around the time I suffered from what I like to call Clamp burnout, 
and I sort of backed away from their more current work. Now, don't get me wrong, I still love a lot of their old work, obviously, but now that I've grown up a bit, I don't just automatically fall in love with their titles just because they did it, you know? Uh, kind of a tangent, but still kind of relevant. Anyway, Rayearth starts out with a feeling of everything is really familiar if you know the original source material. As I said before, the three main characters, Hikaru, Umi, and Fu, are all classmates who are set to graduate high school in a few weeks, and they're sad because they're all going to be split up after graduation. Fu's going abroad to study, Umi's family is moving, yada 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 yada. They make a wish underneath a cherry blossom tree that they'll always be friends, which local legend says that could come true due to a fairy living inside of the tree. As Hikaru sits under that tree alone, pondering what will happen to them in the future, a cute little familiar white character pops out of the tree. That's right, it's the iconic cuddly clamp mascot character Mokona, who Hikaru declares is a tree fairy of the legend, and that means their wish will definitely come true, right? But all the while, unseen forces are also at work. Mokana isn't just there to look cute, he's apparently chosen the three to become guardians of the Machine, or Rune Gods, who they can merge with in the form of giant beast-shaped mecha robots to fight against the oncoming invaders from the world of Sifrio, who want to take Earth and reshape it into a new world for their own. Where in the original series, the girls were called to the world of Sifrio to save it, now they're being brought together to save their world from Sifrio. From here, you'll find the series is full of similar tweaks from the original. In the TV series, Sefrio was falling apart because Princess Emeraude, who was the pillar of their world, had been kidnapped, and without her power, Sefrio was thrown into chaos. In this version of the story, Sefrio is also crumbling, but instead of trying to bring in outsiders to save it, the residents of Sefrio decide to pack up what's left of their world and bring it to ours instead, which means that they have to get rid of all of the people already living there, of course. So, it's up to our girls, Hikaru, Umi, and Fu, to use the newly appointed powers hastily given to them to summon their machines and save the Earth from certain doom. We see a lot of familiar characters from the original Magic Knight Ray Earth, and much like the three heroines, they look basically the same, except for more true-to-clamp-style character designs and revamped costumes. The only character that looks noticeably different would be Clef, who, instead of being a small, sort of fae-like mage in the original, has now been blessed by the clamp gods with a newly updated Bishonin-y look that's almost a bit androgynous looking. Where the original had a lot of nods to not only traditional Magical Girl story elements, but also RPG games alongside their magical mecha robots, the Ray Earth OAV cuts most of that stuff out and focuses way more on just the mecha piloting aspect. Not so much in a Gundam type way, more in a magical fantasy sort of way. More like Super Sentai, come to think of it. 
So while there's still vaguely some magical girl aspects in play, like the transforming, the magic spells, the cute mascot character, etc., many of these are also tied with Super Sentai stuff, so it still feels like it holds some of the original story's spirit, even though it's not as lighthearted as the core of the original series was. We get down to the fighting in Ray Earth pretty quickly, as everyone has their own mecha this time around and wants to dispose of the girls as quickly as possible. In this version, the girls also seem to lose their clothes whenever they bond with their respective machines and pilot them, which sometimes leads to scenes where the main characters are naked and bloody in the heat of battle. While younger me probably thought this made it much more edgy and cool, 20 years later, I'm looking at it with a little bit of a side-eye. It's not like it's anything explicit, as the nudity is as smooth and plain as an undressed Barbie doll, but it seems totally unnecessary and just thrown in as if they were trying way too hard to tell the viewers that this was definitely not the kids' show it was originally. I think even at one point in the subtitles, manga video used for it they tried to translate one of the lines saying that they were in the womb of their machine, but I'm pretty sure that wasn't the original Japanese line, and they just thought they'd toss that in there as an excuse for the nudity, like some sort of excuse that they were naked because they were in the womb of their mecha robots, which also doesn't really make much sense. It's not like it bothers me, but it seems like everyone wanted to jump through hoops to make it seem like it totally made sense they were naked piloting these giant robots, when I think it was more likely just a design choice made by the crew. As the OAV continued on, I really did feel like the staff of this reboot really did want to do a series that was just Ray Earth by way of X. The aesthetic of the series is very X-like in style and direction, with lots of city-destroying battles, a focus on Tokyo Tower, sweeping shots of a city in ruin, and a much bleaker mood in soundtrack. I think even Neon Genesis Evangelion's popularity had an influence on this series, as one of the later mecha battles features a machine that at one point starts looking and acting a lot like EVA Unit 1 in Berserk mode. Out of curiosity, I actually looked up most of the staff and animators on the series and found only one connection to Evangelion, and that was Keiji Goto, who was the beast designer in Ray Earth. He did work on the original Evangelion TV series, but only on episode 9, so I don't think that he had anything directly to do with making a Mashin look like it was going into berserker mode, but I suppose stranger things have happened. While the original Magic Knight Ray Earth had a pretty easy-to-follow plot with just a twist at the end, Ray Earth the OAV wanted to make it deeper and more complex, which started off interestingly enough, but by the end it was obvious that they'd been far too ambitious for their own good and tried to cram in as much as possible into this three-episode OAV. While each episode is about 45 minutes long, it feels like the character development happens at almost a breakneck pace to keep up with how many residents of Sefrio keep popping up, but then the action slows to a grinding halt whenever they have to go into one of the characters explaining something for exposition's sake. 
By the last episode, there's so much stuff that has to be explained that the epic final battle doesn't even seem to last very long, and ultimately doesn't even seem to matter that much? A lot of the answers given by characters as to what happened and why seems a bit vague and unclear, which isn't unheard of for Clamp's work, but since this wasn't actually written by Clamp themselves, it feels like it's missing all of the style and finesse that their more enigmatic stories possess. Instead, we get characters stating fantastical and magical plot points to us very bluntly, and just leaving it at that. I felt like if they really wanted to go all out with their ex-reboot of Ray Earth, they could have easily just left some things unanswered, or just showed a lot of the flashbacks without all the heavy-handed narration explaining everything to us. Part of the mystique of X was all of the dreamlike sequences where you had to put the pieces together yourself, and I think it really could have been improved with a few simple alterations like that. The animation itself, while very stylish and a lot better than the Magic Knight Ray Earth TV series as a whole, was actually not as top-notch as I remember it being. Some sequences were great, and I loved that everyone looked so much more like Clamp's actual style in the manga, but there were plenty of times where they would be saving up the good animation for the action sequences by utilizing a lot of still-frame shots for dramatic effect. Sometimes these would last for a lot longer than you'd anticipate, for almost a whole conversation between characters, which was a little… distracting. Anything to do with the mecha was pretty well animated, and most of the fights and magic were done well too, but at the end of the day, it is just an OAV, so while it does look better than a TV series, it's not going to look as good as, say, a full-length movie. The OAV was directed by Keitaro Motonaga, who also directed some episodes of the Magic Knight Rear TV series, as well as a few episodes of the Pat Labor TV series, the Aizillion OAV, and he did choreography on Fatal Fury 2. Toshiki Hirano was the other director, who also directed the Vampire Princess Miu OAV, Fight Iser 1, and was the chief director on the original Magic Knight Ray Earth under the name Toshihiro Hirano. Character designs were done by Megumi Kadonosono, who did some animation direction on a few episodes of the second Magic Knight Ray Earth TV series, was a key animator and director on some episodes of Martian successor Nadeshko, and did in-between animation on Giant Robo. Something that I thought was interesting was that in this OAV, the girls are all wearing school uniform dresses similar to the one that Fu's older sister is seen wearing in the original Magic Knight Ray Earth TV series. A lot of people seem to comment on their dresses, calling them pilgrim outfits, which I can definitely see, but I always thought that this was supposed to indicate that all three girls ended up going to the school that Fu's sister did instead of the three different ones that they went to in the original series, which kind of adds another layer to this alternative universe. Music in the Ray Earth OAV was done by Toshihiko Sahashi, who also did music for The Big O, all of the Fatal Fury anime incarnations, as well as magical girl shows like Cutie Honey F and Akazuken Cha Cha. 
Incidentally, while I was reading up on the staff and such for this podcast episode, I discovered that there's an image album for this OAV called With Rare that's basically inspired by the Beatles, of all things. Everything about the album seems to include a Beatles reference. The album art is basically a remake of the cover to Let It Be. There's songs on the album with names like Across the Universe, Yesterday, and In My Life, although they're not covers of those Beatles songs of the same name. They're just named after them? <laughs> Even the title of the album, With Ray Earth, is a reference to the With the Beatles album. And of course, to top it all off, all of the songs are performed in the various musical styles that the Beatles made popular. None of the songs are actually used in the anime, though, so this image album is only loosely tied to the OAV, which I guess made the producer for it feel like they could have a little creative freedom with it? While looking at the reviews for it on Amazon Japan, someone pointed out that Rui Nagai was one of the producers of this album and just wanted to do something fun with it. So looking up his website, it indeed listed him as the album's composer and arranger. He also famously composed and arranged Otome no Policy from Sailor Moon R and both openings to The Big O, which I didn't know beforehand, so I thought that was kind of interesting and thought I would share that with you all for this episode, even though it doesn't have much to do with the actual OAV, but it's loosely connected from this weird little image album that was released for it, if that makes any sense. Ironically, the ending theme to this OAV all You Need Is Love, performed by Naomi Tamura, who did both openings to the original TV show, isn't included on that image album, even though the title of the song is obviously another Beatles reference, though it's not really performed in the style of any Beatles music. As far as voice actors go, if you've seen the original Magic Knight Ray Earth TV series, all of the original Japanese cast returned for this OAV. So if you're already familiar with them, you'll recognize them all immediately. Hikaru Shina plays the energetic Hikaru, and you might have heard her before as Kotomi in DNA2, Fam in Rune Explorers, Fam and Eerie, and Elise in Plastic Little. Hiroku Kasahara plays the soft-spoken Fu, but she was also Naomi Armitage in Armitage 3, Azalin in Irresponsible Captain Taylor, and Nanako Misono in Dear Brother. And of course, Konami Yoshida plays Umi, as well as Dorothy in Gundam War in the Pocket, Princess Shayla in Bastard, and Azusa in Devil Hunter Yoko. All of the secondary cast is the same as from the TV show, including Megumi Ogata playing both Eagle and Princess Emerald once again. I never saw the dub of this OAV, but oddly enough, while watching Manga Video's official DVD, I never saw any credits for the voice actors, Japanese or otherwise, which was a little unusual. 
Since this release was done by manga and not Media Blasters, who produced the English dub for the Magic Knight Rare TV series, the dub cast for this OAV is a different one than the TV series. So if you were a fan of that old dub and were hoping to hear that same old cast again, sadly, you're out of luck. Speaking of manga's official release, this DVD has not aged well at all. The picture quality is really bad on modern televisions. Lots of interlacing and blurriness around the edges that you might not have noticed on an old tube TV, but it's very apparent now, sadly. This DVD was also released at a time when it was common for anime companies in America to cover up Japanese logos with American ones, which this release definitely does, and it looks really awkward and out of place. I got a huge kick out of the fact that they drew their own custom menu cursor for the main DVD menu that looks like a Mokana someone drew in MS Paint, though. It's cute and charming, even in its crudeness. A few other small nitpicks I had with the DVD is that they couldn't seem to decide on a single translation for the machines. They seem to call them something different several times, including deities, spirit beasts, and rune gods. I don't know if this is a byproduct of having multiple translators and not agreeing on using one term throughout, or if they thought it would be cool to put in various descriptions for them. Either way, it doesn't help the plot seem any less confusing if you're not paying full attention to it. Also, there's a section in the extras where manga has written up bios for all of the characters, though when I was skimming them, it read like they had just taken bios of the characters from the original TV series and put them on the disc, thinking it was the same thing? For one, they refer to the girls as the Magic Knights, which isn't really correct in this version because literally no one calls them that in this incarnation of the story. They also refer to Zagato as being the primary antagonist, which also isn't correct for this OAV, as he doesn't play nearly as big of a role in this version as he does in the original TV series. So this extra seems really lazily done and just something they threw together to take up space on the DVD, I guess? Sadly though, as of this recording, this is the only version available to the US, as it hasn't been picked up by anyone else since it went out of print some time ago. The DVD isn't that difficult to find, either. You can find it used on places like Amazon for less than $20 right now, though with the always changing secondhand market, who knows when that could change. So, would I recommend the Rayearth OAV? I ended up having a lot more mixed feelings about it this time around than I did before. While it's fun seeing these characters again, and I enjoyed a lot of the visual elements of it, the story was a bit too convoluted by the end for me. It started out promising enough, but I think the writers were so fixated on making it so different than the original that they made it a lot more complex than it really needed to be. I'd find myself mentally checking out every time a character started long-winded explanations about what was going on and why they were doing what they were doing. If someone was looking for a standalone series to watch and was in the mood for an apocalyptic sort of magical girl series that wasn't entirely grimdark, 
maybe. It's not perfect, but it has enough style and interesting ideas that if you enjoy things like maybe Escaflone or Giant Robo, you might like this OAV, as its tone can sometimes evoke some of the same ones those do. If you're into newer Magical Girl shows that are more aimed towards older fans than cuddly kids shows, it might be something you'd enjoy as well. If you're a fan of the original Magic Knight Rare TV series, it could go either way. Some fans like the AU aspect of it, others will prefer the slightly more light-hearted nature of the original TV series. Me personally, it actually made me want to go back and watch the TV series again, or at the very least flip through the original manga. I still have a soft spot for Clamp's older style pre-Cardcaptor Sakura, so if you're like me, it might be worth it just to watch on Nostalgia Factor alone at least once. It's another little oddity in the wide, ever-expanding universe of Clamp's alternate realities for their star system of characters. And with that, I think that wraps up this episode for now. Before I go, I also want to say a big thank you to Anime News Network for asking me to write up a piece on the upcoming 30th anniversary of the original Kimigure Orange Road anime, which started originally on April 6, 1987. If you hadn't had a chance to read it yet, I'll include a link in the show notes to this episode, so please take a look and be sure to tell me what you think, either in the comments on Anime News Network's website or on the blog at animenostalgia.blogspot.com, the podcast Tumblr at animenostalgia.tumblr.com, or you can email me directly at animenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. Next episode of the podcast will actually be my 50th episode, you guys. I'm hoping to do something cool in celebration of that, so keep your eyes out on the podcast Tumblr for more info as I post it. As always, thanks for listening, everyone, and I will see you next time. Mm.